Today we're going to kind of wrap up our class on um, conflict, when and how to fight as a Christian, how should we enter into conflict with other people, and all those different pieces. I think that was all the announcements I had. Okay, so when and how to fight. We're talking about conflict and the Christian life. Um, let's ask some, some general questions before we start. So we're kind of summing up everything that we've talked through so far. Is it sinful to enter into conflict? No. Can it be sinful sometimes? Yeah. What would be some examples of a sinful conflict or a sinful motivation for entering into conflict? For the sake of strife. I want to fight because I want to fight. Now, we're in South Louisiana, so no one like that lives here. They're all in the other parts of the country, right? But us righteous people down here don't ever have that problem of wanting to fight for the sake of wanting to fight. That's not true. We definitely do. Uh, but there is a sinful way to enter into conflict and a righteous way to enter into conflict. One of those, uh, Candace said, anger could be a false motivator for entering into conflict. I'm mad, therefore I'm, I'm going to fight you. Now, why are emotions in and of themselves sinful? Is it wrong to feel? The Bible says, in your anger, what? Do not sin. It doesn't say, don't be angry. And there is a such thing as righteous anger. Now, I'll grant you this. The righteous anger is probably only about 5% of the anger that we actually experience. <laughs> you know, Chances are, if you feel angry at someone, it's because you feel as though they've, they've wronged you and you want to get even with them, or maybe you're just too self-conscious or self-righteous to allow somebody else to deal with you in certain ways. Watch out, you know, don't, there is a such thing as being righteously angry, but just because you're angry doesn't mean that you're automatically righteous. Is everybody following with me here? Okay, so in your anger, do not sin. Um, emotions in and of themselves are not sinful, but where does the sinfulness come in? Where does the sinfulness come in with your emotions? When, when you act on them, well, not in a sinful way, okay, okay, yeah, that's, that's true, that's true, but just acting on your emotions, like letting your emotions motivate you, that's not necessarily sinful. Um, they can motivate you in a righteous way, right? Um, God is a what? He's a jealous God, and he's motivated by that, that jealousy, right? That's an attribute that you could link easily to an emotion that God possesses, boom, who remembers from Wednesday night what kind of attribute of God that is? If we share it with him, it's called a? Communicable attribute. <laughs> there's communicable attributes of God and there's incommunicable attributes. The communicable attributes are the ones that we share with God. The incommunicable attributes are the ones that we do not share with God because he's God and we're not. We're made in his image, but we are not made gods. That's not true, no matter what the Mormons say. All right, so it's, it's sinful when you allow your emotions to control you, right? And one of the analogies that we use when we were talking about this last time is if somebody runs up to you, an easy way to win a fight is to punch somebody square in the nose. Why is that? Because then they just lose control of their faculties, right? Unless they're a real experienced fighter. But most of the time, you smack somebody in the nose, it disorients them, and they swing the haymaker, and now their body is wide open for the kidney shots. You know, like, that's, that's how you win a fight. And the enemy knows this about you. This is why sometimes the enemies of God are so incredibly provocative with you. 
Because they're trying to knock you off your guard so that you lean into your emotions and now you just swing wild haymakers and you no longer have self-control. When we enter into conflict, when we enter into a fight, right? Now, everybody understands when I say fight, I'm talking about a conflict with somebody. I'm not necessarily talking about a physical fight, although that's under this category. We'll talk about that in some months in the future, I'm sure. But I'm talking about more of, a, of an understanding of our disposition towards conflict with other people. If we enter into a conflict with somebody, we want to make sure that we're controlled. Why? Why is it important for us to be controlled? Why is it important for us to have self-control in the midst of conflict? So you can think straight. Yeah, absolutely. If you, can't, if you don't have your wits about you and you just start saying stuff and you start responding emotionally, then the enemy's already won. But if you can enter into conflict with your, with your head on straight and have reasonable discussions and make reasonable points and not allow yourself to be triggered then you're going to be able to stand strong and continue to fight well for the time to come. Ashley? Way more productive. <laughs> because here's what happens, right? If you get hype, what does the other person do? They stay perfectly calm and cause no problems, right? No, it's a bloop. Y'all meet right where they are. And then somebody goes higher and then the next person, and then it ends in a fist fight. Then it actually ends in a fist fight. But no, we're talking about biblical conflict. We want to enter into conflict with the world around us in such a way that the Bible calls us to do so. Now, how does the Bible call us to enter into conflict? What are some commands from the Bible that require conflict? Speak the truth in love, but to tell someone the truth implies what? That you correct them, right? That they believe something that is false. Therefore, they need something true said to them in order that they may repent, right? Speak the truth in love. What are some other biblical commands that require conflict? I'm just going to sit here in silence because you guys are smart. You all know stuff. Let's go. What are some biblical commands that require you to enter into conflict with other people? If you find your brother in sin, what do you do? You confront them, right? Now, what you, there's a requirement that you should do before you confront them, which is what? Well, you should have witnesses. Yes, that's a requirement. You know, counsel's a good idea as well, but there's a biblical requirement. Before you go confront your neighbor about the speck in their eye, what do you do with yours? Take the log out of yours. Now, some people misinterpret that passage, and they say, man, see, I got a log in my eye, so I should never try to take the speck out of that guy's eye. That's not what it says. It says, take the log out of yours, then go. That's a command. Do you get it? So it's saying, hey, you got sin? Deal with your sin, then go deal with somebody else's sin in that order, right? It's not a hyperbolic statement about how it's impossible to pull logs from your eye. That's not what it's saying. It's saying to pull the log out and then deal with the speck. Amen? Okay, so there's a, that's requ that requires conflict. Can you think of any other passages that require conflict? Any other commands from Jesus that require conflict? man. Y'all are making me just, I just, I need to retire and hang up my pastor hat. Like, I, we have not done a good job. No, listen. So think about this. Uh, what's the Great Commission say? Good, but you left the part in the middle out. The part I'm looking for. <laughs> 
make disciples of all nations, or a better translation would be teach all nations. That's true. Teaching requires instruction, which first assumes that the person doesn't know stuff that they need to be known. They need to know, which means like the role of a teacher is to enter into little tiny conflicts all day long. Have y'all thought about this before? Like the role of a disciple maker, which all of you are, whether you want to be or not, you are, okay? Because you got little people that are following you and paying attention to you, how you live, what you do, and they need to be instructed. So you got, you have opportunities, moms with kids, dads with kids, uh, people who are in certain work environments, you have influence other, over other people. You are disciple makers. People look at you, listen to me, this is not a joke. People look at you in this church, somebody looks at you and says, if I could just be where they are. I don't care what degree, where you are in life. This is generally true for just about everybody in the room. You are disciple makers, okay? People are watching you. They're paying attention to your life. Maybe they're not formally saying, please teach me, you know, but you are teaching them in a sense by, their, by your actions. Now, uh, teach all nations. Uh, teach them to, teach them to what? Candace, say that again. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's it. Teach them to what? Obey. That's the great commission, you guys. He says, go therefore into all nations, teach all nations, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Boom, right there. That means that you are perpetually, if you are following the Great Commission, you are perpetually entering into conflict. Hey, person, what you believe is wrong, no matter what you say. And this Bible that I hold in my hand is right. You are wrong, it is right, you should do what it says not what you want. That's conflict. That's only conflict. To be a Christian requires conflict. It requires a fight. Can you all think of any examples from your personal lives where you've seen something like this play out? I would love to hear them. It's people who, who claim to be Christians. That's a, that's a meme. Isn't that a meme? I just want to hear God talk to me. And they have the Bible closed and it's far away from them. Why doesn't God speak to me? You know, the Bible's just closed, sitting over on the table. <laughs> that's good though yeah are you reminding the people who are following Jesus where are you getting your belief system from are you getting it from your feelings or are you getting it from his words amen what else can y'all think of any other opportunities for conflict that you've had maybe in your private lives or family lives or work lives don't dox anybody while we're sitting here you know use <laughs> use secret names a parent not a parent in this room got it okay okay got it got it got it got it and you've entered into some conflict in those areas, and you've said, this is what the Bible says, this is what you're doing. Stop it. The Bible says repent. Good. What else? Can you think of any other areas of your life? So you got family, you got work environments. Can you all give me some specific examples of like stories of conflict that you've entered into? Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah? <laughs> okay. And you're just like, this is what the Bible says. And she's like, but I don't feel like that's true. 
Yeah, and you're like, Bible says this. I know. So, so much of this is really just, see, whenever we say things like, but that's not what the Bible says, what I've found in Acadiana, St. Landry Parish, Opelousas, um, there is a high degree of biblical illiteracy. And so it requires you to be able to say things like, no, the, the Bible says this. And then people often have that response. They, what? I remember one time we were at, uh, whenever the abortion doc was getting ready to move into town, and there was me and a handful of other people that were saying, hey, abortion is evil, and it should not happen here. There were people in the room who were like, hey, man, listen, judge not lest ye be judged. I'm like, she's a murderer. This is, this is not, this is not, y'all are mincing, mincing the wrong arguments here. This is not the way things that we go through. We have a murderer who wants to come to town to murder more people, and you're like, don't judge her, man. She's fine. If there's a serial rapist walking around, you're not going to be like, now, man, don't judge the serial rapist. He's fine. Right? You see, there's a, there's a different understanding here. Yeah, well, because the government said it's okay. This is shocking, but the government does a lot of things that are very wrong. Abortion is one of them. Um, exorbitant taxation would be another one. <laughs> yeah, same sex, yeah, sodomy is definitely a sin and should be treated as such. And one of the most loving things that you could say to somebody who's a practicing sodomite is, hey, sodomy is a sin and you should repent before you're judged. Let's pray. <laughs> you know, that'd be a very loving thing to say to somebody. Uh, yeah, or they might come back and punch you in the face. Hey, amen. Rejoice when you are persecuted for the Lord's sake. That's what Paul said. So, hey, let's go, man. Look, I got a bloody nose this week. Hot dog. What, what are some other, can you think of any other examples of conflict that you would enter into or that you have entered into? Kelly? Yeah. Can do you think that you could count just in light of that conversation? Do you, so Kelly was saying that she had a, a conversation with somebody who was having a same-sex marriage and they had to tell their friend that they could not attend the wedding because it was a same-sex marriage. Um and then as a result, they were called bigots. You, when I think of Kelly Carrier, I think of hateful bigot. That's the first thing that comes into my mind. Let me tell you, first thing on the list. So, but Kelly, let me, think, let me ask you this. Do you think you could quantify how many um, conversations about the Lord and his law were had as a result of your statement? With you personally or removed from you? Even one degree or two degrees removed from you. Do you think you could even count them? I would wager that because you said that, there was way more dialogue happening that would have never happened before. That's okay. Yeah. Even though his word describes him very specifically. 
God would, the God that I believe in, well, you don't believe, that was Mark Dever that said that one time. The God that I believe in would never do such a thing. And Mark Dever stood up in the room and he said, well, ma'am, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. Moving on. And I think that's a phenomenal way to handle situations like that. But my point is, the gospel had far more opportunity to go out as a result of you saying, this is what the truth is. In the words of Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. This is it. This is what the truth is. So the conflict, the opportunities for conflict that you're given will provide opportunities for the law of God and the gospel of God to do its work in the hearts and souls of others. And it does mean that it's true that you will be maligned and hated by some. Bible. That's straight Bible, okay? You will be maligned and hated by some and even persecuted and maybe even killed. But some will believe. I bet you there were some people in your family that were relieved that y'all said that. (gasps) Finally, somebody else with a brain, (laughs) right? That's so much of the stuff that I find, like, Every now and then, I don't know if y'all are friends with me on Facebook, but if you are, every now and then I just throw out a line and I say something that's really not controversial at all. One time I said, um, a man cannot become a woman, and my timeline just exploded, right? And it was just a base fact, just a man cannot become a woman, and my whole Facebook just melted down in that moment. But I can't tell you how many times I have received messages from people who would prefer to remain shrouded in the dark that I don't even really have relationships with anymore. And they just say things like, hey, thank you. (laughs) I needed somebody to say it. Imagine if the disposition of Jesus' church was to proclaim truth at all times in all of life, right? There would be much more of a, the problem is that we have been silent for so long. We've been conflict averse for so long that now the idea of us proclaiming what is true rocks the world around us. The progressives don't have this problem right? The progressives have no problem shouting from the rooftops that a boy can become a girl, shouting from the rooftops lies that are only destructive to society because they're forcing their agenda, the destructive agenda of Satan himself upon the world. And it's our job as Christians to say from the rooftops, this is the way that the Lord has ordered. Now, I'm not saying only do that all of the time, but I do think it's okay occasionally to just throw a line out and see what happens. Throw a line out and see what happens and engage with the world around you. Um, the concept that I'm referring to, uh, some people have referred to it as the, uh, the Overton window, as moving the Overton window, and you can do some Google research on things like that, but you don't have to. It's the principle applies true. Proclaim truth, fruit happens. That's the point. Proclaim truth, fruit happens. Can you guys think of any other examples of entering into conflict? Crystal? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm done with you. Yeah. Okay. Wait, wrong direction, wrong direction. (laughs) Ooh. 
<laughs> Verification. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's straight up witchcraft. Yeah. No, I have witches that have offices next to mine. That's not a joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were like, please stop. <laughs> please don't burn. I don't want no more of your candles. <laughs> That's great, though. But you had an opportunity because you were proclaiming what is true to have direct conversations with people. And the Bible says very plainly, you can plant. Somebody else may come along later and water. <laughs> yeah. But you got opportunity to proclaim the truth. That's good. I think that I think that that's true. I think that what we're really going after here is just learning how to be able to be faithful to all of the scriptures, and take every opportunity that we have to proclaim God's truth, and then to do it, to do it. Just say what's true, man. If we could just return to that general disposition, because that is a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. We think that the Great Commission is only fulfilled whenever we tell people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's not the only piece, okay? The Great Commission requires that we teach all that Christ has commanded us, that we teach all of his commands, which means that we enter into conflict, and then, insofar as the person may be... Did you, anybody in here ever watched any Ray Comfort videos before? Y'all ever got to see Ray Comfort? Yeah, Dave's seen them. Yeah, y'all go watch some Ray Comfort videos. Home Dude is on the side of the street, and he has a gospel conversation with people. He does this all day long. He's having gospel conversations with people, but he leads with their sinfulness. He leads with their sin. And I'm not saying every single person that he talks to is converted, because that's just not true. But every now and then, you watch somebody literally start to follow Jesus on the spot. On the spot. That's it. If we are going to be able to have successful gospel conversations with people, we have to bring the law, and we have to be willing to enter into conflict with them. Any other examples? Kelly? Yes. Yes. Right. Right. They don't, it's, it's not going to have any bearing on their lives. I remember we went to, uh, y'all know them short-term mission trips that are really vacations. When I say that, does everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, I see a lot of head nods, so yeah. So one time I went on a short-term mission trip to the Dominican Republic, and our active service that day, so that we could go zip lining later, was to go and do door-to-door -door evangelism in the Dominican Republic. Now just bear with me for just a second. In the Dominican Republic, what language is spoken? French, S French and Spanish, depending on what people group you're talking to. 
depending on who's there. If they're from, if they're Haitian, they're most likely speaking some type of Creole French. Um, but if they are Dominican, they're most likely speaking Spanish. So they sent white boy, captain of the world, okay, to go do door-to-door -door evangelism to all these black Dominicans and black uh, uh, Haitians that I don't even speak the same language as, and they sent me with an Evangicube. Do y'all remember what an Evangicube is? She remember, Margaret remembers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Evangicubes were these little things that, like, you would fold, and it would take you through the gospel presentation. And so I'm knocking on the door. There's a translator next to me, okay? And I stand at this door, white boy, which I guess maybe that's why they listen to me. White boy, and I'm like, do you have a minute to talk about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Translation, and then I go through the spiel. And this might be shocking to you, but it was incredibly unfruitful. <laughs> Like, you could tell, and you could also tell that some of the doors that I was knocking on, I was like the seventh person to hit them that week because they lived down the street from the mission. You know, they lived down the street from the operations base. And they were like, these people here are good. Yes, okay. Like, you could tell that they were just going through the spiel. So, but what we didn't proclaim to them was any of the law of God or any of God's requirements for their lives. We didn't teach them all the ways that Christ has commanded us to live and to operate. So what are some of the biggest, let's ask this question, what are some of the largest sins present in our region today? Sexual sin, sexual promiscuity, yep, that'd be an easy sin to deal with. And we laugh about it, right? We laugh about sexual promiscuity. Have you noticed this? Oh, look at the way these women are dressed. Oh, man. Yeah, that's sinful, and they need to repent. Water bucket. They should not be tempting people like that. That's sinful. That's provocative, and they need to repent of those things. And you need to stop looking. That's sinful, and that's, you need to stop it. That's, the Lord says that you need to keep your eyes put in your head. That's sin. You need to repent of it. And Jesus has come to die for all your sins. Boom. What's some other sins that we deal with in our region? What's that? Perverted sexual things. We're talking about sodomy. We're talking about transgenderism. Although transgenderism is very small here, it's still here. I mean, I, I see people, I don't remember where I was, but I was like, oh, that's a dude in a dress. You know, like that was a very obvious thing. We, we have interactions with them on a semi-regular basis. So they're here. We should tell them to repent. That's important. Yep. <laughs> sin begets sin. That is, yes. No, that's sinful. The Bible says, the Lord does not tempt. That's in the scriptures. If I were you, I would have that one loaded into your brain somewhere. Here, can I take you to... Yeah. Yeah, well, I lie, though. So I have a problem... Yeah, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can know it? Like, I would just, I would have those things right there ready to roll. Um, because here's the deal. If they're, they're either going to receive it or they're not. They're, it's either going to crack the egg a little bit or it's not. And all you got to do is proclaim what God says. Okay? And then see what the Lord does. I mean, think about how many times that happened with you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, somebody said something to you that was what the Bible said and it bothered you. Has that ever happened to you before? That's happened to plenty of us before. Okay? Somebody claimed to you God's commands and you were like, I don't like that. And then you left. 
And then that command of the Lord was an earworm in your brain for the next however long. You should tithe. Mm, I don't think my God's going to require that of me. And then you leave, and you're like, should I tithe? I might should tithe. Is that in the Bible? And the Holy Spirit's just working on you through those things, right? Your job is to proclaim what's true and let the Holy Spirit do his job. Your job is not to be the Holy Spirit to that person, which means you can't reignite their passion. You can't, you can't, you cannot stir their soul to be awake again, okay? Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But your job is to be the prophetic proclaimer of truth in those particular situations. That is your job. Yes, sir. <laughs> Shabling. Yeah, well, and I think underneath that, really, so with the transgenderism and with the, the cross-dressing and things like that, that is ultimately a rebellion against God and his design. It's their desire to be God rather than trusting God to, I mean, that's really, what is all sin? All sin is we desire to be God and make our own rules, okay? The transgenderism and the sexual sin is just the, the culmination of that, right? Sodomy is the culmination of a lot of sins. Uh, pedophilia is the culmination of a lot of sins. Uh, licentious uh, sexual desires and hyper drug addiction is the culmination of a lot of other sins. You get it? Like, we say this all the time. Nobody rolls out of bed in the morning and they say, you know what? I want to be a meth addict today. Like, nobody does that. They, they, it gets there over time, right? Yeah, it gets there over time. Somebody starts dabbling in the, in the little uh, kiddie pool of pornography, and what does it do over time? We all know the answer to this. It escalates again and again and again, just like any sin does. See, that, that's what addiction is because addiction is sin. It's a lack of self-control, and it's you being given over to your sinful desire. And it eventually escalates and escalates and escalates and escalates unless you confess and repent, and it destroys you, and it destroys the people around you. You get it? Okay, Kelly? I love review days. Sorry. Okay, go, Kelly. Yeah. Uh, sure. Correct. Yeah, the foundation of that concept is a proper theology of sin. Okay, so um, in the Old Testament, a lot of times, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today, this morning in the sermon, but in the Old Testament, a lot of times sin is, is paralleled with leprosy, okay, with uncleanness. And what's the thing about leprosy in the Old Testament is you, you took it with you wherever you went, right? That's, that's the same thing with sin. You, bring, you think... We think that if we can just get all these sinful people away from me and live in a remote world where only good things happen, then I will never have sin. No, because you brought it with you, right? You brought your sin with you to that spot. This is why after the world was completely destroyed, one of the first things Noah did whenever he got off the boat was sin because he brought it with him. Do you get it? Do you get what I'm saying? This is important for us to remember. We, we carry it 
with us. And so somebody who says, but I've always had these temptations, be like, yeah, and I bet you've always had the temptation to lie. And I bet you've always had the temptation to be covetous. And I bet you've always had the temptation, just because you've always had a temptation doesn't make it right. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's a proper theology of sin that has to go into that place. Just because it's something that you wanted since you were little doesn't justify it or make it righteous. Am I, am I helping? Does that sound good? Buddy? Yes. He knew exactly what his problem was. Yeah, and the correct understanding of that passage is not, therefore, get rid of all your stuff and become poor so you can follow Jesus. We're also going to talk about that today. The correct understanding of that passage is he had a specific problem in his heart that he probably carried with him all of his time. He was covetous, and he wanted more for himself. That was his, that was his heart's desires. Yeah, very good, very good. I feel like somebody had a question that I didn't get to. Okay, then we're going to move on from there. All right, so as we enter into conflict, we want to make sure that we are doing so wisely, that we are doing so unashamedly. That's important. Um, part of proclaiming the gospel is entering into conflict with other people. So don't, don't be embarrassed by that. If we are going to win the world, and that is the goal of Jesus' church, is to win the world and knock over the gates of hell, what do you think you do that with? With your own brute strength? No, with the words of God, right? If we're going to win the world and we're going to knock down the gates of hell, which is the promise of the scriptures, both of those things are the promise of the scriptures, there will not be a nation or a people, it would be a better understanding of that word for nation there, that has not, has not heard the word of Christ proclaimed and the nations will stream into the throne room at the end of all days, which means the nations follow Jesus in the end. Amen. And so here's the deal. If that's going to happen, and if the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus' church, then that means we got to fight. We have to. It is a shame for us to sit in docility, silence, laziness, apathy, fear, whatever you want to call it, and not proclaim the words that Jesus has taught us to proclaim. If you're self-conscious because you think, I'm such a sinner, how could the Lord ask me to proclaim such things? Get over it, take the log out of your eye, stop flirting with it, and do your job. The Lord has called us to make disciples of all nations, to teach all nations, and teach them to obey all that he has commanded. And so we got to do it. Stop being passive, stop being lazy, stop being afraid. Some people will hate you, full stop. That's it, okay? Some people will hate you. That's it. And it might shock you who they are. It's been shocking for us a few times <laughs> to realize who the people are that hate us. But this is the way that it worked. The religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they loved Jesus, didn't they? They hated his guts. Why? Because he went after their sin. You get it? Because he called them to repent. But those who were poor in spirit we're going to talk about today in the sermon, received his words with joy. And that's what we're looking for. Some people will hate you. Some will hear and repent. So we have to do our job and willfully enter into conflict and proclaim his truth. Amen? Any last questions before we close? Cool. Let's pray.
Thank you, Jesus, that you're good and that you teach us your words. I pray that we would be brave and be willing to be hated by others for your commands. May we be joyful in our disposition towards proclamation, and may your word find good soil and bring good fruit in all that hear it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. See you all in a few minutes.